As we started this series last week, I shared about how we view this word hope. We use it uh, in all different ways, in all different contexts, with all different meanings, kind of like the word love. But for most of us, we use the word hope, and if I could simplify the definition, it would look like hope with a question mark. Like, for instance, I really hope that Notre Dame beats Alabama in the national championship. Come on. And yes, that's directed to all of you Alabama fans out there. Even those of you wearing your Alabama sweater. I'm not looking at anyone in particular. But again, hope is a question mark because I don't think Notre Dame can do it. <laughs> but I'm hoping. Right? We, we use this word hope all the time, and it really does. It's like, well, it's a desired outcome that I feel may happen. But we kind of ended last week with these two verses found in Romans chapter 15, and they're kind of the, the uh, foundation for this entire series. And you see, what Paul does, he's, he's writing this letter to this church in Rome. We call it a book, the book of Romans, but he's writing this letter. And what he does in these two verses, Romans 15, chapter, or verse 12 and verse 13, verse 12, he goes back into his Bible. He had the Old Testament. He didn't have the New Testament. It was still being written. It was still being developed. The storyline was still being uh, 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 miraculously put together. But he goes back into his Bible and he grabs this verse out of Isaiah. And actually, we're going to spend a whole bunch of time today in the book of Isaiah, um, specifically chapter 59. So he takes this verse out of Isaiah and then he uh, wraps one more thought into it in verse 13. This is what he says, verse 12. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse, who's Jesse? Jesse was the father of King David. So out of that line, that lineage, will spring up one who will rise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. Again, it's an important part because this promised Messiah, this Redeemer, this Savior was going to come. And and he used the word Gentiles. But what it meant, meant was for all people, not just the Jews, God's chosen people, but for all people, all nations, all cultures will come. And in him we'll hope. And then he says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see something happens when you lean into the God of hope. When you trust in the God of hope. Hope with an exclamation point, not a question mark. It not only fills you up, you now overflow. Have you ever been around someone? There's just something different about them. Have you ever been around someone and you look in their eyes and their world might be chaotic. They might be going through a real difficult moment of life, but you just, you look at them and there's just something there for some of you. That's why you're in this building today. Because someone who invited you, there's something different. And you wanted to find out what that difference was. It's God of hope. Filling you up to the point where you overflow, where, where, where you touch other people's lives. It's hope with an exclamation point. 
And if you were here last week or listened to the podcast, I'm sure you had this moment where you're like, yes, I want that hope. I want the hope with the exclamation point. I want the hope where I don't question. I don't want the hope where I have doubts. I don't want the hope where I'm not sure. I want that hope. And you probably left with this, this feeling it's like, yeah, I want that. And I believe in it. That's great. And you walk down the stairs and got in your car and then someone cut you off and you lose all of it. Right? You're like, oh, and that quickly faded. Got home and your kids were yelling and screaming at each other and you can't kick them outside because it's too cold. I know it's not cold yet. It's cold. You have these moments where you're like, you're back into the world and living daily, hourly with this hope with an exclamation point is difficult. Most of us, if we're real transparent, we spend most of our time living with this hope with a question mark, don't we? It's just life. You, those moments where you just kind of wonder, God, are you there? I mean, maybe intellectually you've already framed the thought that God is present, God is real. Emotionally, your feelings, he feels so far away. Those moments of life where, I mean, you're struggling, you're hurting, and you want God's presence to to calm that God of peace to be felt, and you don't feel it. You're not at peace. Anxiety has just ravished you, and you you just don't know what to do with it. Where you know that God is a God of joy and joy comes from the inside out, but you can't find that joy. And you're like, God, okay, I want to feel that way. Where are you, God? Why aren't you here? Why aren't you present? Why aren't you around? You pray to him, he doesn't answer. You pray to him, no response. You scream to him, silence. You sit in silence, silence. Where are you, God? You have this picture that he's sitting way up in the sky somewhere in this big lazy boy chair drinking a Coke Zero because he needs to watch his calories. And he's just kind of going, oh, wow, that's a good show down there. We can read Romans 15, 12, and 13 and go, the God of hope, the God of hope, exclamation point. But if we're all very transparent, we read it as the God of hope question. Hopefully, maybe, I don't know. I don't feel it. I haven't experienced it. I'm not sure. Today, we're going to spend most of our time together in Isaiah chapter 59. And let me just throw this warning out. The first about 15 and a half verses, it's going to feel very hopeless. This is that moment where you're going to sit there going, wow, I just, I just needed to be encouraged at church. It's just not going to feel that way. We'll get there. It will turn the corner. So just stick in there with me because we will turn the corner. But you see, Isaiah paints this picture that I think is 
very authentic and all of us could resonate with. Let me set up for you uh, this, 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 not only chapter 59 of Isaiah, but this whole book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet. And uh, if you've ever taken some time to try to study some of these uh, books of prophecy in the Old Testament, uh, you're probably highly confused because they're highly confusing books. They just are. And, and so I will talk to people that are like, I tried, but I had no idea what they're talking about. You see, the books of prophecy are unique because there's so many different layers to them. One is you have to understand the context and what, what they're being written, kind of the, the, the time period, what was going on kind of in that part of the world, because that plays into their words. But you see, the books of prophecy, the prophets are doing several things. One is they're kind of talking about what's happening right then in real time, what they're experiencing. But in the next verse or the next sentence, they'll switch to talk about what's coming in the next 50 or 100 years. And the next verse, guess what they'll do? They'll give you this prophecy for 2,000 years to come or thousands of years to come. Just like this. And it all comes together. And so when you jump into these books of prophecy, you kind of have to wade your way through it saying, well, is this now or is that future or is that future future or is it all three or two of the three? What is the prophet trying to say? We get into the book of Isaiah. And again, one of the important things to understand this entire book is to understand what was going on in the world. Because you have to understand that context to get some of the meaning of what he's going to be sharing. Again, God used prophets to communicate his truth to people. So what was going on in Isaiah's day? Well, here's the entire Old Testament in about two minutes. You ready for this? The entire thing. But I hope it brings some clarity because I'm sure if you've ever jumped in the books of like First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, you'd be like, what is going on here? So here, here's the Old Testament. God creates man. Man and woe man messes up. Sin. Sin enters the world. Population expands. God's people raise up. God's people says to, to God, God, we need a king. God says, no, you don't. I'm God. You don't need a king. God's people said, well, we know you're God but we need a king on this earth. God's like, no, you don't. Yes, you do. Yes, we do. No, you don't. Yes, we do, right? It's that conversation. Finally, God said, fine, you want an earthly king because you look around and all these other nations have earthly kings. Fine, I will give you an earthly king. But guess what? It's gonna turn out really bad. So they got Saul. He was horrible. It got better with David, King David. Actually, in the Bible, it talks about David being a man after God's own heart. But he still committed adultery, got someone pregnant, had the husband killed. It was a whole, it's a great plot for a movie, right? It's just, it's one of those movies we'd pay money for and eat popcorn. It's great. That was man after God's own heart. Well, it didn't get bad, better after David. Solomon took the throne and, and uh, at first it went really good. Solomon built the temple, which was awesome. And that was great. And, uh, but Solomon started, you know, uh, uh, marrying a whole bunch of wives and a whole bunch of concubines. I mean, they all had to have name tags. It was so many. And, uh, and, uh, but he started introducing all these false religions. You see, one of the biggest storylines of the Old Testament is God saying, just follow me. And God's people saying, oh, we're going to do our own thing. And God said, 
God would say, I'm your only God. And they're like, yeah, but these other gods, wow, you know what we can do following them. And God's saying, my way's the best way. And God's people saying, yeah, it is, but we like our way better. It's why Moses ignored the two and followed the ten spies. And more importantly, Moses didn't listen to God. He listened to the masses of people. And so they wandered in the desert. And so towards the end of Solomon's reign, God was really fed up. And there's 12 tribes. And so basically what happened was that two of the tribes uh, kind of broke off and they went north. And that was called Israel. And this is where it gets uh, confusing because you, you had Israel, but now you don't have Israel. So the two tribes go north and they're referred to as Israel. And so as you study First and Second Kings and the prophets and chronicles, they're going to be using these words. So the two tribes go north, that's Israel. Ten tribes stayed south and that was called Judah. And now you had two kingdoms, these kingdoms divided. And over about 200 years, finally, the Assyrians come in and they wipe out the two tribes to the north, Israel. They're gone. And now is left is these 10 tribes, Judah. And so Isaiah is prophesying in Judah to the south. And uh, the last 26 chapters of Isaiah, from chapter 40 through chapter uh, 66, uh, Isaiah is kind of prophesying about Babylonia coming in capturing Judah and Jerusalem, taking all, uh, all, all the people into exile. And so that's what he's talking about as we jump into chapter 59. Have I lost all of you? Or are you with me? Some of you are like, I don't know, there's kings and that's cool sword, right? But that's what's going on. So as you start studying the Old Testament, you have to realize, especially in the period of the kings, that there's two kingdoms, Israel north and Judah south. Two tribes north, ten tribes, right? And then you have to figure out which prophet is prophesying to which one. It's, it's awesome, especially if you like history. Okay, let's jump into 59, okay? And this all ties in. So Isaiah is going to give you one verse of kind of uh, reprieve, like one verse to kind of go, oh, yeah. And then he's just, going to, he's just going to launch in at you. So it's coming. You ready? But verse one, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. You know what Isaiah is saying? I know you think that God's way up there and he can't or won't, not willing to reach down. And I know you think that God can't or won't or is not willing to listen to you. I know that's how you think. I know in your daily life, you're saying, God, where are you? God, aren't you listening to me? God, why do you feel so distant? God, why aren't you responding? God, why aren't you helping out? God, I'm in pain. Can you heal my pain? God, I'm broken. Can you help put me back together again? God, I'm confused. Can you help my confusion? God, I'm lost. Can you help me? God, I'm talking to you. You're not responding. And Isaiah just comes straight at it and says, hey, I know you think God's up there and his arm's too short. I know you think God's up there and he's not listening to you. And then he turns his corner. You ready for this? Buckle up. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood and your fingers with guilt. 
and your lips have spoken falsely, and your tongue mutters wicked things. I mean, if we could just uh, underline every like your and you, right? And Isaiah just say, hey, whoa, 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 time out. It's not God's problem. It's you. I'm going to give you the most amazing moment of your life right now. You ready? Here's what I want you to do. You ready? Here it comes. I want you to turn to the person next to you and, says, and just say this. Say, I'm the problem. Go, go for it. It's free. Spouses, I know you're like, yes! <laughs> say it. You got to say it. Introduce yourself. I know wives, you're like, this is the only time I'll ever hear my husband say, I'm the problem. <laughs> Wasn't that a great moment? Oh, we all feel better now. Oh. Okay, later, you know, later you can't bring this back up and say, hey, you said you're the problem. But isn't this reality? Let's just get real truthful with ourselves. Not with each other, with ourselves. Think about your life. Think about where you find yourself right now. How much time do you spend dealing with you and your issues compared with everyone else? It's their fault. It's what they said. It's what they did. It's how they acted. It's how they looked. It's how they responded. It's how they, 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 it's how they. And how little time do we actually spend with our stuff? Our junk, our sin, our brokenness, our hurt. We do it with God. You know what Isaiah is saying? You keep telling God that he's far away and he's unconnected and he's not listening. No, 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 no. It's your sin and your issues and your pride and your brokenness and your control. It's you that's created the distance from God. It's you that's walked away from God. It's you emotionally unconnected to God. This isn't a God issue. This is a you issue. And isn't that true? Of how we deal with other people in our lives? I mean, we don't want to look in the mirror and face that we have sin and we have brokenness and we're messy people. So it has to be everyone else's fault. One thing I love about the church is it's a a love-hate relationship. It truly is. One thing I love about the church, it is absolutely filled with broken, sinful, messy people. Isn't that great? But it always boggles my mind when someone goes, I'm leaving the church because this person said something. I'm like, well, look at you for a minute. What do you expect? But here's people, here's all of our expectations. We, we go to work and we expect to, to, to interact with messy, broken, sinful people, right? You just expect that at work. You go to a PTO meeting and you really expect that. <laughs> right? You take your kids to a sports event, you expect that. But something happens within the walls of a church. People just think, oh, I'm going to church. Perfect people. I'm like, what part of this don't you understand? The church is more messy, right? It just is. So 
Maybe let's spend a little less time pointing fingers at everyone else and let's maybe spend a little bit more time saying, well, what do I need to do? You see, when you start focusing on your sin and your brokenness, guess what God does? I can help you with that. When you're hurting and you go, man, God, I'm hurting. And maybe it's because something you did. Or maybe you're... 49% involved. Of course, you couldn't be 51% because that'd be the majority. 49% involved. You invite God into your brokenness. God's not far away. Our sin has created the separation. Our sin has created the space. Isaiah continues, and he kind of ends this entire section in verse 8. Listen to how he frames this. The way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their past. They have turned, uh, they have turned them into crooked roads. No one who walks along them will know peace. See, see what God knows is this. And it's the story of not only the Old Testament, it's the story of mankind. When you walk in step with God, following his footsteps, following his guardrails, following what what he desires for you to be and to become, your paths are straight. And that's where you find peace. That's why Paul said in Romans 15, uh, verse 13, that the God of hope will give you what? Joy and peace for those who Trust him, who will follow him, who realize that his ways are better than my ways, and his ways are clearer than my ways, and his ways are perfect, and my ways are broken, and his ways lead to hope, and my ways lead to hopelessness. That's why God kept on saying to his people, just follow me. And they'd say, ah, that's a great thought. We're going to do our own thing. I mean, spend some time in 1 and 2 Kings. It's the same story over and over and over again. And then you finally get a king like Hezekiah that followed God and honored God and worshiped God. And amazing things happen through him and his leadership in the kingdom. And the next king came and he says, does evil in the eyes of the Lord. You see, it's not about having a life that's perfect. That's not reality. But if you want to ex- experience a life of peace, where your paths aren't crooked, where you're following God and you're looking at him and that you realize his ways are better than your ways. That's when you trust in him. Then Isaiah turns another corner. Verse nine, he says, so justice is far from us and righteousness does not reach us. We look for light, but all is dark. For brightness, uh, for brightness, but we walk in deep shadows like the blind. We grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. Ah, 
Isn't that a great word picture? For some of you, that's your spiritual life right now. You're just groping along the walls. Everything's a fog. You're trying to see God. You're trying to figure God out. And everything is just closing in on you. For some of you, you've just come out of that kind of spiritual journey. And finally, you're like, oh, God, you are there. Why? Because now you're walking in step with God. And then he says in verse 12, for our offenses are many in your sight and our sins testify against us and our offenses are ever with us and we acknowledge our iniquities, rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on our God, inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. I think about that line, uttering lies that our hearts have conceived. Sometimes we have said the lie so many times within us that that lie seems like truth to us. If you missed that, let me say that again. Sometimes we say the lie so many times internally within us that as we say those words, as we have those thoughts, we see them as truth. And our hearts have deceived us. That's why this book has to be your roadmap. Because I know there's things in here that hit nerves. You're like, I don't like that. Remember, God's paths are perfect. And every time you walk your own path, your own way, it becomes crooked. story of the Israelites and they'd start following God and their path would be straight they followed their own ways they would wander and then Isaiah ends on this pretty hopeless uh, note in verse 15 he says truth is nowhere to be found and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey what a hopeless thought I mean truth nowhere to be found and even if you tried even if you tried attempted your prey you'll be destroyed what a hopeless point you see isaiah turns this dramatic corner and imagine these words as god God speaking these words to you directly. The Lord looked and was displeased and that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. And he ends in verse 20. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. God looked down and said, I get it. Mankind is sinful and broken and flawed. And there must be a Redeemer, someone who will intercede, someone who will fill the gap. 
between us flawed, sinful, broken humans and the almighty, all-powerful, all-loving God. And his right arm, the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, will come and he will fill the gap. He will intercede for all people. The Redeemer will come. You see, that takes that question mark and puts the exclamation point. And I want you to know in this season, you can have hope even in dark moments. You can have hope when you're walking through hallways groping in a fog. You can have hope knowing that not only did the Messiah come and walk on this earth, but he will return. Jesus Christ, the eternal king for all of his people. Now that's hope. There's not a question mark on that. Why? Because God loves you that much. We wanted to have a little time at the end today. Because here's what I know in this room. There's still a big question mark that is fighting for its place next to the hope in your heart. This is true. And what I want you to do in this space, if you walked in here today and you've been feeling that God is distant, if you walked in here today and you could have just recited those words in in verse one, God, your arm's too short. God, your ears are too dull. This, This is a great moment to say, God, I need to remove whatever is in my life the sin, the brokenness, the hurt, the pain, the doubt in my life. And to recognize that God is near. And God does hear. And God's arm is not too short. For some of you, you want to experience the peace and joy. Remember Paul's words. It's for those who trust in him. Trust that Christ came and died and conquered the grave for you. You see, when you put your trust into Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit fills you. And that's where the peace and joy come from. For some of you, that's, that's where you find yourself at spiritually. For some of you, maybe today, in this moment, you know someone who's just struggling. They got a big question mark next to hope. And God is so distant in their life. And maybe in this moment, Maybe what God wants you to do is to pray for that person by name. But know that God is near and God is with you and God does hear you.
let me close out with these words. The root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over all the nations. In him the people will hope. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our prayer is that, is that you will be filled with hope. That you'll experience life here on this planet for the years that you're going to live. And to know, to know that God reached down with his right arm for you by name because he loves you and he wants to be with you. Tonight, we have a unique opportunity as a church. And uh, let me be real transparent for a second. We've been talking about this vision night. We've been talking about this liberty property. We've been talking about um, us as a church and where God's leading, where we're going. But if you want to wipe all of that away, this is what I want you to know. Tonight isn't about a building. It's really not even about a vision It's about the message that we have. And when I say we, I mean we. That we have a message of hope. That for some reason, God is using this church in this area to proclaim to people, to share with people. You see, that's what the church is about. It's about sharing the message of hope. The message of Christ who came for all people so that all people may experience life to the full. It's a message of hope. It's what brought me all the way out here. At the innermost part of my being, I'll do it until God says, Christian, you are done. It's helping people experience the hope of Jesus Christ. And so tonight, Yes, there's a vision, and yes, there's a property, but I hope you know, hope with an exclamation point, I hope you know, it's what God is already doing in and through this place. We already are a hope to a dark part of the world. We all get that. And this place is touching so many lives, and God's just begun just begun doing what he wants to do in this part of the, of the world. And for some reason, he wants to use Renaissance Church. And so I, I not just invite you, I hope, exclamation point, that you will be here tonight. Because when God's people come together, when God's people follow God's lead, God does amazing things. 
And that's what tonight is about. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for, for our time together. My prayer for everyone sitting here today is that they walk out of here today sensing, sensing that you are near because you are and knowing that you are listening because you are. Lord, I pray for this church. It's your church placed into our, hand, our hands. And my simple prayer is, Lord, that I will honor you I'll honor you. And my prayer for this church is that we will continue to honor you and follow you. In your name I pray, amen.